You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. In the Bohemian Woods, there exists a place that emanates a type of bone-chilling strangeness that is difficult to explain. Settled along the limestone cliffs and covered by dense wilderness, lies a structure with a terrifying past. A castle now stands, but the land it sits atop holds a centuries-old reputation as a gateway to hell. Legends tell of an inexplicable event and the opening of an endless chasm from which flying beasts and grotesque half-human, half-monstrous entities emerged, slaying livestock and terrorizing locals. Local officials at the time attempted to fill the pit. But as they dumped rocks, dirt, and all they could into the darkness, they waited to hear if there was indeed a bottom. However, the chasm would never fill. Beasts continued to emerge. The horrors inflicted on nearby villagers would continue. Today, We are left with the tangled web of a place imbued with the perceptions of esoteric magic and occult practices that throughout its history has attracted many notorious individuals, from alchemists, sorcerers, and even the Nazis. Join us on Into the Portal as we explore the bizarre history of Castle Hoska. Have you ever visited a place imbued with a disturbing legacy? A site that gives off a dark feeling that saturates the very walls and permeates through to frighten one to their very core. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And this is Into the Portal, your gateway to the bizarre. Today on the podcast, we're taking a deep dive into one of the most haunted places in the world the infamous Castle Hoska. This is a very eerie, strange fortress that's positioned essentially in the middle of nowhere, roughly an hour outside of Prague. And it's sitting right sort of awkwardly on these rocky cliffs in this extremely remote place. By all accounts, it doesn't appear to have any real strategic reason for being there. 
There's no trade routes, no immediate resources, and it's essentially situated right in the middle of the thick bohemian forests and swamplands. The castle has become known, though, as a center of extreme high strangeness, and one of the most notorious haunted places in the Czech Republic, and maybe even in the entire world, depending on who you talk to. Imbued with evil energies and mysterious creatures, seen both on the grounds and in the skies above. Absolutely strange. So, the castle itself, and even the grounds, have gone through a ton of different eras, bloodshed, and they've changed hands a great number of times. Sometimes even going vacant for centuries. I think 400 years was the largest gap. But despite the lack of resources, despite no real reason for this place being here, there seems to be something drawing people to the castle, or at very least the grounds in the Bohemian Woods. Even though the structure has caused fear since it was very first built back in the first millennium AD and moving into a later stone structure, there's a lot of weirdness going on at Castle Hoska. Today, you can still visit the castle, but what makes it so unusual is a few different things that are absolutely bizarre. So what we wanted to do was bring on our friend Travis Dow, who Mm -hmm. used to live in the Czech Republic. He's visited Castle Hoska and is definitely an expert on the topic compared to us for sure. So let's take a second to listen to Travis and everything he has to say about Castle Hoska. Even on a beautiful day, walking up the hill to Hoska Castle can be a little bit creepy. There's weird statues that are overgrown, dedicated to some nobility or other. They find dead birds inside the courtyard all the time. The surrounding houses of a, I wouldn't even call it a village, it's just scattered houses around the landscape. Most of them are either in a cave, built their house, you know, kind of extended into the cave, or their barns or caves, or kind of dug out from the, I don't know, limestone or sandstone in the area. It's it's a really weird part of the Czech Republic. I've never seen houses just in the, I mean, unless I'm watching The Hobbit, outside of The Hobbit, I've never seen houses like that um, anywhere. And archaeology dates those back to the original Slavic settlements in the 7th century, centuries before Christianity came. Uh, Celts lived there before that in the same way. Um, It's a really just cliffy, rocky kind of countryside that lends itself um, to living in caves. But it's, it's weird. There's really thick woods all around it. It's supposedly not really suitable for hunting, and there's no nearby borders or trade routes or anything nearby to defend. So why is that castle even there? It does have a really old sense about it. I mean, we kind of knew going up to it that it was said to have been a wooden fort already in the 9th century, centuries or at least 100 years before Christianity even showed up in the area. Hoska is unique, of course. It's the castle that keeps us all safe. It separates Earth from Hell. It's first and last line of defense against Hell. So, of course, everybody's heard of it. You should, your soul owes its freedom to its existence. So it's built inside out, with the ramparts facing into the courtyard, the outside just kind of being a nice mansion, the abyss The hole to hell that was described in the Chronicles in the 16th or 15th century is covered with a huge block of stone, supposedly by Ottokar II. 
but it doesn't stop the screaming, the weird sounds coming from the middle of the castle. At the base, the castle's about four stories tall, and at the base is a big chapel, one of the oldest parts of the castle, dedicated to the archangel Michael, the head of God's armies in the fight against the hordes of hell. And the faded frescoes on the chapel walls are completely unique in Europe. They're some of the oldest found in Europe. They date back to the early 1400s. And they depict Michael in two scenes. In one, he's fighting a dragon, the symbol of evil. And in the other scene, he holds a sword in one hand and a set of scales in the other, weighing souls at the last judgment. There's also scenes of the crucifixion and St. Christopher. But what's really strange about the chapel frescoes is that on one wall, um, you see this woman and the lower body of a horse holding a bow in her right hand and with her left aiming an arrow. Um, that's It's really unusual to find representation of a centaur, a, a creature of pagan mythology, adorning the walls of a church in the 14th-15th century. But it's also the only known extant picture of a left-handed female archer, period. In the Middle Ages, left-handedness was associated with the devil, Satan, and researchers believe that this picture is linked to the stories of half-human animals, which were already mentioned in Hayek's Chronicles in the 1400s. Like this, this whole castle is just based on stories of half-human demons coming out of this holes and flying animals and witches and... Um, yeah, it's kind of, you get that vibe even in the modern kind of touristy museum that they attach to it. A man named Mach had vile visions at Huska in the 19th century, and even Nazis stayed there. Were they looking for something? In the Thirty Years' War, the Swedes stayed there. I'm Travis Dow from podcastnick.com and have been to Hoska Castle a couple of times with my co-host Pete Coleman. There's a video up on YouTube. It's a neat place to visit, used as a hunting lodge by nobility and a private getaway in communist times, but you won't really be able to enjoy the views from the top story, as gorgeous as they are. Nothing can distract from that block of stone over the courtyard, the only thing separating you from hell. All right. Well, that was very intriguing. Um, you guys might remember Travis from way back in the day when we first started the podcast. And we actually did an episode on homunculus. And that was pretty cool. We had Travis on. He's uh, our veritable expert in alchemy. So yes. he had a lot of really fun things to say. And he, again, in general, he's just a really interesting guy. And him and uh, Pete Coleman, his co-host there, they have their own YouTube channel. So his website is podcastnick.com. Just think yeah. Spudnik, but podcast instead <laughs> of the beginning part. Exactly. No spuds involved. And then uh, the YouTube channel is what again, Andrew? Uh, the Past Access is the YouTube channel. And you can get the link off of podcastnick.com. Uh, but we'll have links in the bottom in the show notes as well. You guys got to check out uh, Travis and uh, Pete's work. There's a lot of cool stuff up there and you can see the full video of their trip to castle hoska mm -hmm. and uh, get a peek on the inside as well pretty cool just to see that courtyard and just to kind of help get yourself familiarized with the, just like what it really looks like because like you know you build it up in your head and you're like this massive like baroque looking castle it doesn't look like castle it looks like a mansion it does it's like a square yeah or structurally more so like a cube so let's go through and uh summarize what travis already summarized for us. Sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, the structure resembles a square cube. 
So it's like a cube within a cube within another cube. Yes. Dot, dot, dot. So so it's very bizarre and structurally makes pretty much no sense at all, much like the location itself. So the first thing let's touch on here is the fact that there are no windows. What is up with that? No natural light? What are these vampires living there? Yeah. Hmm. Just these facades. Very strange. Well, facades. At first, when you're approaching the castle, it does seem as if there are many windows overlooking those coming towards the structure. It looks like, you know, a view from high ground. Makes sense, right? Generally, if you're building a fortress, you want to have a couple of points where you can look out and see what's coming your way. You want the high ground for sure. Yeah, but these are false windows. They are not real. And so what they're called is, what again? They're shams? Shams. Yeah. So it's glass panes set against the stone. So it's give it gives the impression that there is a window and then a room within that that someone yeah. could be looking out from. But mm-hmm. nope. A lot of the times, these are a common thing, right? Like shams are known to kind of like fill that gap, like architecturally, so that buildings don't look weird from the outside. Right. And uh, it's kind of funny, actually. I feel like they've just forgotten that with modern architecture and modern, like, you know, homes that they build. And these, like, we've noticed that, right, quite a bit where it's like, this building, like, this was built last year. It looks like a cube and it's got one awkward window and then everything else is just blank, like stucco. And it just looks so weird. And you can tell that window is just like one tiny little, like, bathroom window on the second floor or something. There's like nothing else there. It's not symmetrical. Yeah. So that's totally what they were. It was meant to make it look good on the outside. Yeah. Preventing light. But yeah. In this case, though, it doesn't really make sense because they're pretty much all of them are like that. Yeah. So it's like it's not like it's the exception. It's more the rule that they're fake. So the mystery of this remains unexplained. A lot of people have their own conjecture. They'll add to it. But a weird feature, to say the least. Yeah. Another weird feature. The castle has no outer fortifications. Its walls are built in this square block fashion, like we said. But there's actually, like, you know how normally they'll have, like, those little slits for even, like, you know, in medieval times, so they'd have, like, archers that could, like, volley yeah. arrows out. And and even, like, you know, they'd have, like, the stone walk across, like, the top of the building and all that. None of these exist. No. But they actually do have fortifications on the interior. Hmm. <laughs> so what... What is that all about? We'll get into that more, obviously. Yes, of course. And then there's also this weird thing, like Travis mentioned, in the inner courtyard, there are often these dead birds found inexplicably. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. So it kind of makes you wonder what these birds are dying of. Are they throwing themselves against the wall? Are they flying into fake windows? What are they doing? Are they, yeah, just like, the facades. The, the the shams are causing all the uh, – their windex and those shams, those birds are flying right into them. But even that wouldn't make sense to me because of the fact that birds generally fly through windows that there's light coming through because they yeah. think it's an archway. Exactly. They can get through. This would not be the case. One last weird thing. There is actually no water source attributed to this castle. There's – no kitchen even there's no plumbing whatsoever like obviously back in the 900s when the first iteration of this was built there was no such thing as interior plumbing but (laughs) you generally build something close by a river or some other spring or water source right yes supposedly 
if you look on, I think it was McGee's Ghost Hunters or GhostAdventures.com or Ghost Tours. Ghost Tours, Ghost yeah. Tours. And they attribute it to uh, the devil sucking the water out of all of the nearby areas. So, <laughs> yeah, it has a very uh, nefarious reason behind that. Mm. But it's funny here. I had this quote from a Czech blog that was describing this lack of a water source. And it's so funny. It's like, why is it standing here when there is no trade route or border? <laughs> That's my very poor Czech accent. Just <laughs> Shout so you guys out to know. Jan. <laughs> <laughs> the deep forest is not suitable for hunting and there is no source of water it is rumored that it was built to protect the surrounding world against something inside Ooh, dot 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 sounded exactly like yawn there did i i don't know oh, no not at all but <laughs> <laughs> well he's the one that called me out for sounding like fran drescher so hmm. i'm just throwing it right back there you <laughs> go that's right uh, so why was it built this way a lot of people would say that it was built like this to keep something in. Yeah. So why, how, what is the source of this craziness? We're going to get into that. Because there's yes. a really interesting sort of like, it's kind of convoluted, hey, the history to a little certain degree. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very convoluted from its, from, even from the the land itself before the first wooden fortress that we're going to discuss, the ancient Celtic history in the area is is murky and mysterious. Let's just mm-hmm. say that. And on top of that, there's a lot of language barriers, so a lot of the articles describing all this stuff. So we've done our best with the resources and we've gotten some help from Travis too. He led us yeah. on to a couple resources we didn't have, so we're very thankful for that. Definitely. But yeah, like you said, Andrew, even before it was built, there were all sorts of rumors flying around the area about all these dark, demonic things happening. Entities seen in the area, winged beasts, half human, half monstrous sort of creatures. Yeah. These were actually later depicted on frescoes in the chapel that was built to sort of bring a holy light to the area, right? Yeah. But yeah, it was so crazy because there were these stories by locals of beasts and these people being abducted by these demonic things and for what purpose hmm we're gonna get into that too but yeah the local folklore traditions are rich with this type of thing and perhaps for good reason so let's get into some of the sightings of weird things past and present oh yeah let's do it because like i said there's these winged demons so things actually quote unquote like seen flying out of this supposed chasm which we haven't even mentioned yet mm-hmm. <laughs> the gateway to hell but yeah travis already alluded to that in his little introduction there yeah so basically yeah this this place is known for being a gateway to hell and there's these things there was actually a demonic thing that resembled the black shook which yeah. we also covered in a past episode it was like a dog like thing Definitely associated with sort of the more modern Christianization of like demons, the devil, the black shook. It's got that vibe to it. Yeah, lots Mm -hmm. of beasts like that seen around the castle. That's a good thing to mention is the the influence of religion on these stories and the mythologies that were kind of created around uh, Mm -hmm. this area and this this building. Some other modern examples of weirdness at Castle Huska is that people have actually claimed to see cloaked figures – Around the area, uh, they've heard and felt entities both inside and outside. And this is this is in modern times, right? And we're talking yeah. 20th century, 21st century. People go and visit there and they feel these things. Tourists experience things. this. Like that is 
that is something. It's still the strength of the energy at this castle. Yeah, it's a very dark energy. There was one account that claimed, uh, this was from a visitor that was touring around. It claimed that uh, there were figures that were telling a group of people to kill young girls. Yeah. So very weird suggestions. Again, it brings to mind Lep Castle that we've also covered in the past where you, again, you're in these areas. It was the chapel, right? This yeah. upper chapel where people were being told things like, jump out of the chapel, jump out the window, all yeah. this kind of stuff. And it was like the elemental, like this energy in that particular castle that was sort of edging people to do those weird things. It's almost like something similar here, except mm-hmm. it's maybe not one singular elemental, I'm air quoting, entity because there's a lot of energies going on at this place. Yeah. So it's definitely rich with all the tropes of like a classic haunting, even things such as objects moving around, uh, masses of cold air where they shouldn't be, you know, obviously castles are known for having pockets of uh, cool air, cool air and drafts and things like that. But these are supposedly happening in areas that just shouldn't, you know what I mean? Just cropping up. Inexplicable. Exactly. So maybe we should get into some of the early days, because that's where a lot of, obviously, the origins of this started to originate from. Yeah. (laughs) The origins originated from. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Amber, well said. (laughs) Yeah, very well said. (laughs) Yeah, let's get into some of the, um, I tried to really dig into the reason why obviously people were thinking they were experiencing these monstrous things at this location, or maybe the reason why there was the original wooden structure there in the first place. Okay. I wanted to go back to some of these ancient Celtic pagan traditions that we know existed in Bohemia at the time. Because the question we have here, like after all that all the stuff that you just went through that's so fascinating with this place. Why did they build it inside out? What are they protecting from on the inside? Why would they even bother with these uh, the false windows on the outside? Is it to give people the impression that there's actually a lot of maybe troops or soldiers living inside the castle? Don't bother coming up. Or is it for some other strange reason? It's like it is doesn't it, make a whole lot of sense. Or is it to give it an air of normalcy where there is no normalcy? Maybe, you know it's, I mean? maybe it's that. Because there's definitely no normalcy. I mean, yeah. geez, Louise, one of the creatures that I uh, was reportedly seen in the early days of this uh, happening was the combination of a frog, human, and canine enigma. Right. So there's a lot of uh, things going on here. And everything from stealing livestock, like you said, like maiming, killing livestock, to the people themselves. And when you described the winged beasts, I immediately thought of like the recent Jurassic Park where it just goes buck wild in, oh, in, and, yeah. and there's the pterodactyl pterosaurs swooping down, picking people up and flying away with them. That's kind of what I pictured with the winged demons. Oh, I was going more gargoyle with those. Ooh. I was thinking like, you know, like they're almost, they could be humanoid-like. Totally. I don't know. Oh, but same style though. You mean just like swooping down, yeah. grabbing people by the scruff of the shirt and flying away with them, bringing them back to the chasm. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's interesting, this whole frog-dog amalgamation thing. Frogs and dogs very closely associated with, like, you know, like imagery of witches and sorcery and things of that nature, which, again, is very relevant for this episode because a lot of people point to that as the sources of these occult sort of leanings of the area. Totally. Mm -hmm. So let's touch on some of that, the early days of maybe where that could have come from. So I looked up some sort of Celtic history information from Bohemia, and there is archaeological evidence of, of course, the Celts and nomadic Celtic tribes inhabiting in the area all the way back into antiquity, before Slavic tribes migrated there in the 6th century. This brought the question up to me whether or not, like, could the site of Hoska 
actually be maybe one of the earliest sites of Samhain or Halloween, the Celtic okay. uh, origins of Halloween. Before anyone thinks I'm spiraling down a rabbit hole with this, let me let me sort of explain myself here. I'm going to come back to it a little bit more at the end. But the reason I brought this up is like people are claiming to see monsters and half-human hybrid enigmas and stuff like that. The question I had was, was there maybe a reason for this? Was there like a an actual gateway to the other world where maybe ancient druids and Celts were going to try to thin the veil? Because when I hear about a hellhole or half-human monsters, that sounds like a thinning of the veil to mm-hmm. me. Especially now in modern times, it's said to be a haunted place. Again, that's yep. associated with a thinning of the veil. Halloween was seen as a transitory time. So I'm just calling it Halloween, the origins of Celtic Halloween, right? They believed that on this eve, the boundaries between the living and the dead were blurred. And one of the ways that they could help aid this process of thinning the veil was dressing up. Dressing up like these monsters. Embodying uh, them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The ghouls and ghosts and half-human enigmas and very much the things that were being described as coming out of the chasm, which Mm -hmm. we'll get to in a hot sec. They believed in life after death, right? So maybe there was a place to go, again, tying into the hell hole, which is the very much Christianization of the uh, events at Castle Hoska. Right. Mm. To me, this this could tie in because the ancient Druids were the Celtic priests that were performing these types of ceremonies and things like that. They all took place in the woods. The Bohemian woods would have been the perfect spot. They didn't have temples and things like that. They were all associated with pagan nature gods and wanted to be close to nature. So my that (laughs) came up to me. I was like, was there something that happened at this site way like thousands of years ago before the first wooden structure was built? And maybe there's a reason why. And before the chasm even opened up. Exactly. And so it was already a hot spot, if we want to call it that. And when you say all of those things, and you're talking about, yeah, the thinning of the veil, and the idea that these pagan rituals were trying to get closer to nature, the magical sort of esoteric forms of the the magic of nature, you know what I mean? Exactly. And just all of these things are such hot keywords for everything that the Nazis were trying to do. Exactly. And trying to get back to, especially with the Volkish movement and the, the iterations of that that Himmler was obsessed with and things of that nature. So totally. All of this is just ripe. I really love your little theory here. This Thank is great. Thank you. And there's sort of two there's sort of two ways you can take that theory too. The one is that there's a reason the Druids were performing if this is only my theory, there's a reason why maybe ancient Celts were there. Or they just chose it as a good spot. There wasn't maybe ancient energies there, but there was then human sacrifice carried out by the ancient Druids, which was very much a thing. They did perform human sacrifice as a part of their traditions. And maybe this bloodshed was then left there, carried on with the remnants for the later monsters and things people Mm -hmm. see. So whether or not it's the energies there before the ancient Druids show up or left behind from some ancient pagan rituals and sacrifices and some weird high strangeness going on at this place mm. is oh, sort yeah. of left up to, up to interpretation. I really, really, yeah, I think that is very, that, that could be a crucial pinpoint to the actual origins. Cause like when we try and get into this, it's like, Oh, it's just the folklore. It's all the people talking this and talking that and whatever. And it's not really like there was one specific event other than the fact that a chasm did open up eventually. Right. And that was kind of where supposedly these winged things were coming out of. 
But that's, oh man, the idea that a lot of rituals and sacrifices, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going like cross-cultural all the way around the world here to like Mesoamerican sacrifice, human sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? How it's totally. performed in front of the, these pyramids. This is a hilltop, right? This is the, the highest ground in the area. Yeah. So it's a natural formation, but it's still high ground. And it is in the center of these very dense woods, which I would imagine, again, would have quite a magical feeling, right? You're getting yeah. close to nature. You're getting close to the heart, the soul. Like, you know what I mean? And so, it would maybe be almost like a pilgrimage destination for a sacrifice event yeah. to be, like not near a trade route, not near roads. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe yeah. there's no water there. That's like, a okay, maybe you need some water for your ceremony, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe but, that's just the later Christianization of it, right? Right. Demonizing all of it and being like, oh, this devil worship's going on. That's The devil sucked out the water. And right. That's why, like, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's an easy thing to No accuse. wonder the Nazis wanted to be there. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> so it's like, what, yeah, was this drawing them there? Like, clearly there's this energy, whatever cause it is drawing the nazis to this place yes. uh, and himmler and his You're occult very beliefs. obsessed with these romanticized notions of like uh mother earth and things of that nature yeah i mean um, and just just to sort of add the cherry on top to my little uh idea there even bohemia itself is actually named after one of the most ancient celtic tribes in the area called the boy people b-o-i-i oh. so the forests of bohemia are intimately linked to these ancient pagan uh, human sacrifice rituals. Fascinating. (laughs) I love this. Now, we don't know if the first gentleman named Prince Slavibor knew about any of the possible uh, energies left behind or maybe the bloodshed that took place in the forests because he was the first one to construct anything at this site. So let's get into that. The mm-hmm. earliest evolutions of uh, Hoska Castle. All right. Constructed around 890 CE, so in the first millennium after Christ, the and it was a wooden structure. There was no stone building technology at this point. It was erected at the site where it still stands today, but this didn't last very long. And what occurred would essentially lead to what we've discussed already, these horrific creatures of all different shapes and forms emerging, crawling, flying, and just massacring livestock and disturbing locals out of this chasm. We don't really know when Castle Hoska exactly was built, but we do know that Prince Slavibor was ruling the area mm-hmm. in roughly the 800s. So he was Prince of the Sorbs. I was like, who the heck are the Sorbs? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's an ethnic group, uh, Germany, Poland, Czech Republic, essentially just descendants of the area, some of the Celtic tribes in the area and stuff like that. Smaller populations, but he ruled the area. He was a well-liked ruler. He burnt forests to clear land for his people to plant crops and stuff like that. Hmm. Very well-liked. He was like a builder. He was a constructionist. Yeah, exactly. Founded new villages, focused on agriculture. He was also very, very proud of his son named Hosek. Hosek was just one of his two children. He also had a daughter named Ludmila, who would actually end up being canonized later on as Saint Ludmila of Bohemia. And she does tie into this story a little bit more intimately as well. But essentially, Slavibor decided to construct something at the site that the current Castle Hoska stands today in honor of his son Hosek. Why is my question? Why, I mean, why choose that location if we going back to the things we discussed before. There's no water there. It's not near anything. Is it just supposed to be a funky retreat for his son? Oh, yeah, like a sanctuary of sorts, or perhaps if it did have some sort of like folkloric element tied into it or, or mystical element tied into it, maybe they were trying to tap into that as well. 
Maybe because they were still pagan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Slavibor was practicing, uh, you know, pagan religion, and his son was as well. Ludmila was the first to sort of change things in the area a little later on. Right. But maybe they were drawn to the energies left behind, based on my previous theory I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, depending on how. I wonder if, yeah, like the historical record, I wonder if it would speak to that in their time, right? Because why, yeah, like, you know, a lot of people build sanctuaries out in the middle of nowhere and and it is for retreat. Some people do say that it could have been um, not an ecclesiastical center, like an administrative center, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. But all of this is speculation. Big time. Mm -hmm. There are a couple other sort of... (laughs) We've got a Christmas tie here as well, oh, yeah. because St. Ludmila, that she would become later on, the daughter of uh, Prince Slavibor, would end up giving birth to Wenceslas, the good King Wenceslas, as, as he would become. Actually, oh, it was her, her grandson. Right, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. One, One generation. generation away. So St. Ludmila was the grandmother of, oh, St. Wenceslas on the <laughs> Feast of Stephen. I don't remember what the Feast of Stephen actually is. I actually don't know. Are they eating Stephen? Or are they celebrating Stephen? I don't know. Steve. Stevie. Steve. But anyway, we <laughs> yes, before we before we touch on really Christmas songs or get into anything like that, we need to touch a little bit more on these dark origins of the castle. Yeah, so Slavibor and his son, Husek, as you already mentioned. So this was the son that was said to be the reason for constructing this first iteration of what would be known as this place of high strangeness. And it was made of wood. So, again, like, we weren't sure if this would be constructed to honor the sun or some kind of gift or some sort of retreat or maybe a prison. Maybe he was a bad boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> but all of this is kind of irrelevant because he never actually ended up living in the castle. It was after it was constructed that something happened. It was actually the servants that had started to move in when they witnessed this incredibly strange event. So just outside the wooden structure, the limestone base was said to crack open, revealing what was called an endless cavern of darkness. Thick limestone, we're talking here, it essentially fissured without any cause. Yeah. There was no earthquake or any other event. There was no flooding, no waters, no spring or geyser opening up. It was just a very strange event. It seemed as if it just wanted to open. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, like Andrew's been alluding to, there's all these energies that have been building and it just, it almost just just has to release itself. It forced its way open somehow. Or, you know, it's just the plates of the earth moving around. But you know what? Maybe that's just that's for another day. (laughs) Maybe. In the high woods of Bohemia? Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? knows? Uh, The legends say, though, out of this endless black pit... There were all sorts of bizarre, horrifying sounds heard. And eventually, the locals reported that they saw these creatures that would venture out of the pit and attack townsfolk, abducting people, and even killing livestock, and just generally terrorizing the local population. Mm-hmm. And so if we believe in this slavy boar guy building this first structure... I, I just like I'm I again I just go back to this mystery as to did he not know about the reputation or did he? You know what I mean? Yeah. Did he maybe something happened and this was a holy site and the fact that they constructed this building 
placed a curse on it right or something like obviously this is all high speculation <laughs> but i mean clearly or, it's like yeah because it's just weird right that the the structure was built then it quickly opens up was something disturbed were they doing something even with the foundation of this structure maybe something happened and limestone is a softer rock so perhaps they meddled with it yeah. or maybe it was just like weird timing it was just wrong spot at the wrong time and who knows this gateway decided to open up and they were there so i don't know talk about uh time to complain to your realtor if you uh, bought that <laughs> lot and uh, and then that happens right after you build <clears throat> it's almost like that unsolved mystery we were watching where it was like the people they bought in this uh, newly developed uh, you know residential construction area and then they went to build a pool and realized that they had bought a house on top of an old cemetery cemetery where right. slaves had been buried and and Ooh. they they were just too poor obviously to afford headstones so and there, there was, was no markers was there then, hauntings in that one or yeah. some weird stuff yeah, yeah there was some strange stuff right very unfortunate however because of this uh, again and this all just added to the lore added fuel to the fire and some pretty interesting stuff started to happen so it gained this reputation and the locals and the rulers wanted to explore this endless chasm. Yes. So what do you do? You take the people that you don't like and put them in there. So they basically made bargains with prisoners in exchange for their freedom. They could be lowered into this gap to see and report back what they heard. Yeah. So and before you get into that, because this is my favorite part of the <laughs> Castle Hoska story. Yeah. This, so the chasm opens up, right? This pit opens up. There's monsters coming out. Before they even lowered this poor guy in there, uh, it, it, this, these these poor prisoners in there, they tried to fill it. Oh, right! They, right, they tried yeah. to fill it up. They did, and it wouldn't fill. No. Now, I I would imagine it's going to be tough to get a lot of backfill and dirt and rocks at the area. Yeah. Like you're excavating in what what is this now? Just over 900 AD kind of thing. Yeah, and what do they have? Like they don't have excavators. They've got friggin' wheelbarrows. They got <laughs> donkeys, hands, and carts, right? And yeah. uh, but but nevertheless, they attempted to fill this hole without even being able to hear anything hit the bottom, right? Like they, mm -hmm. they're dropping, they're trying, and just weeks after weeks of trying to fill it and it just wouldn't fill. So this was the reason why they were like, well, you know what? We need to see what's down there, mm -hmm. right? No drones, there's no cameras. There's only one way to find out what's down there. Yeah, lowering the poor sap into the gap. <laughs> You've been waiting to say that all day, I have you? been waiting to say that. <laughs> so like we said, in exchange for freedom, prisoners had the choice. And there was this one guy that took up their offer and he was lowered by rope into this cave in exchange for his freedom. So according to this legend told by travelbook.de, it says here that the man was lowered into the cave to explore its depths. However... Just as soon as he disappeared into the darkness, he began screaming, just shrieking at the top of his lungs. Yeah. And when he was raised back up, he had aged over 30 years. His hair had turned stark white and he would babbled insanely until he died inexplicably three days later. Mm -hmm. There was no cause for it. He just lost his mind. Yeah. So it was sometime after these horrific events occurred that it was decided a chapel should be built, something to protect and sanctify what these unholy goings-ons. Right. And so it came to be known this Gothic structure was built directly over top of the gap in the cave, 
sealing it and these demonic beasts within, or so the legends go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spooky stuff. Could you imagine being lowered into that, into the, into the chasm? Nope. I nope. mean, like, <laughs> you pay me for that. me, and, and so, obviously, this is a pretty spooky part of the legend, and there's no real way of corroborating the story, the idea of aging 30 years from being lowered in and, and whatever else. We can speculate a bit on that in, in theories, but to me... What's so crazy about this, this idea that, okay, if there is a real chasm, there's monsters coming out. That's scary enough. People are seeing them attack their livestock or or abducting townsfolk and things like that. But you're seeing those monsters on your own turf, right? It's juxtaposed to things that you know and understand. It's a monster, but it's in and amongst the village you live in. You recognize the area. But then this poor sap in the gap being lowered down he crossed that threshold. Like we're talking about thinning of the veil and things like that, or maybe being some sort of a a, a portal or a gateway. That's what's fascinating to me. It's almost like dipping in like, you know, in like a sci-fi movie where like you're super injured and then they get like dipped in that liquid and you come out and you're good as new kind of thing. It's like, this is the opposite of that. And I picture him like crossing over this sort of like this, you know, void, if you will, Mm -hmm. dipping below it, that's where the screams begin. And then he comes back up into reality and he's, but he's changed, a changed man. A changed man and something that's irreversible because of the fact that he did end up dying. And, and, you know, the three days is kind of significant because in my mind, I'm wondering, did he just ultimately refuse food and water and he might've died of dehydration? You know what I mean? It only hmm. takes like three-ish days for you to die of that. And then they just embellish the the, the, the aging and the hair and Well, no, like not that. even that so much. But if, you, if, if you've done what you say, like crossed over that veil and come back, maybe you have kind of given up some version of life. Right. right? You're you, half it, or it's dead. Or it's been sucked out of you. Oh. <laughs> if you want to get really cranky oh. with it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do a quick recap here then before we move on, because we've got essentially the first structure built by Slavibor. It's made out of wood because they didn't have the stone technology at the time. The limestone outside of this structure then splits immediately after it's built and the first servants start to move in. Limestone does erode fairly easily over time. So a massive fissure or crack opening up isn't entirely impossible possible. But if there was no earthquakes, uh, usually limestone erodes easily with water. Right. Mm -hmm. So if there's Mm -hmm. no water in the area, then how the heck is this being formed? Very curious indeed. And of course, however it cracked open, releases these horrific things. There's sort of a gap after this. We know that the people of this area of Bohemia were being terrorized, but the structure was essentially abandoned for almost 400 years. Presumably there were people comings and goings there, probably some still maintain, people maintaining ancient pagan rituals and things like that after Christ- Christianity came into effect. But very little is known about the area in this gap in time before this next structure was built. We know it was visited by some groups and stuff like that, but it wasn't until Ottokar II in the mid-1200s, the 13th century, decided to build something a little bit stronger. He was the one who erected the stone castle that stands today, sometime during the 13th century, presumably to prevent any more of these flying monsters, crawling enigmas, and demonic entities from emerging out of the chasm. So that's the quick recap. Before, though, we move on to more details on Autocar II, we're going to take a quick promo break. 
We here at Into the Portal know that there are many out there who suffer from thoughts and feelings that interfere with overall happiness and well-being. BetterHelp is there for you, with licensed professional counselors who are available remotely in a safe and private online environment. It's amazing how modern technology can enable us to get the help we need on our own time and through your own preferred methods of contact, including secure video or phone sessions, plus online chat and text messaging with your therapist too. What's really great is how BetterHelp is available worldwide. Anything you share with your specially matched therapist is completely confidential, and you can change counselors at any time for no additional fee. BetterHelp has licensed professionals who are specialized in everything from depression, anxiety, family conflicts, and many other areas that may not be locally available to you. And best of all, it's truly affordable. And all Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month using discount code PORTAL. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com portal. That's P-O-R-T-A-L. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that can make a difference in your life. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash portal. All right, and we're back. So just a couple of things for housekeeping. We wanted to welcome Audrey to our Patreon community. Oh, yeah. Whoop, whoop. We actually just released um, a really fun episode on another African cryptid uh, called Amela Natuka. So if you enjoyed our take on Kongamato, uh, I would head over to our Patreon page just yeah. to check out all the offerings. It's just patreon.com slash into the portal. And for $5 and up, you can get a bunch of bonus episodes, even as little as $1. You know, you get your shout out. There's lots to check out there. Totally. So if you want to support the show and get even more high strangeness in your ears, I'd go over there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I did want to re-mention, too, we've got some new merch. Oh, my gosh. Woo-hoo. I almost forgot. Yeah. We've got these stickers, a couple of mugs, sweaters, hoodies, and honestly, my favorite is the organic cotton tea, and it's all up on the Etsy shop. So you can head over to intotheportal.com, and it's on the front page. You can just, like, hit the link and go straight over there if you wanted to buy some stuff. Totally. But, yeah, I'm really stoked. We have an order on the way, and I can't wait to show everyone on social media. Oh, my God. Me, too. It's- so, yeah, if you guys want to see it and once it comes i think it's set to arrive next week yeah so we'll be posting on that so go and check out our socials totally it's, what is it into the portal one on gmail or sorry on <laughs> into the portal one on twitter on into twitter. the portal podcast on instagram uh, and into the portal podcast on facebook yeah come follow us on there we mm-hmm. love chatting with you guys and yeah this is, it's another great way to support the show obviously if you don't want to do the patreon thing that's totally cool but rocking some uh, some cool merch would be awesome and we would love to see some like photos of you guys with your mug or with a hoodie or whatever totally. that'd be really cool um, so yeah go check that out now back to the show let's get into some autocar the second of bohemia and the sort of second iteration i guess yeah. or maybe third i would kind of go like in three phases one where it was just the site itself second phase is the stones or sorry the wooden structure i like that and then the third iteration is the castle turning to stone and there were actual later renovations too supposedly and those are a little bit vague but there were some additions and mo- modifications added on later. yeah but this guy autocar the second he's kind of an interesting bird and i felt a kinship with him he was actually born on the same day that i was born roughly what like 800 plus years before me <laughs> august 26 august 26 1278 Ajakar enters the world 
and he was known as the Iron and Golden King. And he reigned during a really interesting time in Bohemian history. He started up his kingship in 1253 after the death of his father. And he was actually the second son of the good King Wenceslaus that we already mentioned off the top of the bat. Wences, yeah. Yeah. Wenceslaus, I don't know. That's how I say it. Oh, King Wences. I can't help but <laughs> sing it. Every time I see that word, I'm like, that's the only part of the song I know, though. Oh, deep and crisp, the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even, I think it says. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> So he wasn't destined for the throne. He was originally destined to be an ecclesiastical minister, not the ruler of Bohemia. However, his older brother and heir to the throne died very suddenly when he was in his youth. And Ottokar's destiny was changed forever from that point forward. He actually had a lot of apprehensions. He didn't really like politics. He had a hesitancy to rule. And because of such, there was some family drama. (laughs) So... After all this happened, his brother dies, Ottokar kind of slipped into a bit of shock and a little bit of regression, and he tried to avoid these supposed pitfalls of political life by just going hunting all the time, drinking a ton, just trying to avoid, 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 avoid. But however, he was soon swept up in the politics of the time, and he was convinced by several local lords to attempt to overthrow his reigning father. This was interesting because his father was actually, Wenceslas was going through a bit of reformation, he was trying to expand the empire a little bit. And so... This was, again, complicating yeah. his reign. And what happened was the, the the revolt was unsuccessful. Ottokar was eventually captured by his father, and the rebellion was quelled. Uh, however, father and son did make up. There was kind of a nice little reunion there. And Ottokar was restored to his place. And he actually took on the Duchy of Austria, where they were expanding into. Yes, yeah. And essentially, he ruled as Duke until his father's death. And he was quite liked in Austria. The people actually did take to him. And his father died in 1253. So basically, he took on the crown of Bohemia from there on. After that, yeah. Yeah. So he was kind of the guy that was around when this next iteration of the castle was built. Right. And 1253 would have been maybe even like potentially to the year when it was constructed. It was mid 13th century Mm -hmm. is roughly the date range, right? He would have had the authority to actually spend the cash and the resources and stuff like that to do that in and around 1253. But the question remains, what was happening that prompted that? There had Mm -hmm. to have been either the strength of the legends and the myths of what had happened there 400 years previous, or roughly so, and that was enough to construct this inside-out castle just purely on speculation that there was maybe an endless chasm to hell. Or did he he just want to carry on the tradition? Or like there was something there. It feels like we should build something there. There isn't really a... I don't know, right? I think so, because I think he was taking up the torch of Ludmila, his like great-grandmother right and her attempts at christianizing the entire bohemia and so if you build a chapel build a sacred place on top of a demonic place maybe you're yeah you're righting the wrong you're restoring the legitimacy of of the area or whatever right order to the area you're sealing the veil as well potentially and also quelling the fears of the locals you're You're bringing them into the fold. So maybe they would love you more. Right. Whether he even believes it or not. Like, yeah, maybe this was constructed just at the behest of like pressure from the village, villages around him Mm -hmm. to make them think that he really cares about, about their safety. If he wasn't scared enough. Maybe, yeah, he's a good politician. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm glad you brought this up, the chapel, because Mm -hmm. that's kind of the most significant aspect of this to me, other than 
all the weirdness inside out, the fake windows, the lack of water, the fact that they built this chapel with the strange frescoes uh, on the inside of some of the um, adorning the walls and Mm -hmm. stuff that Travis mentions, because it is still linked to some of those pagan things that I mentioned off the top when it shouldn't be. Well, yeah, it shows this transitory time right between the two. It's it's very fascinating. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the saint he mentioned. Was it St. Michael battling the dragon? Archangel. Yeah, yeah, which is, of course, representing the devil or evil or whatever, the dragon, the serpent, all that classic stuff. But then there's the weird lion thing going on. Yeah. So if Ottokar was fully Christianized, his his grandmother brought it into effect, Ludmila was like, no more paganism, then why is there these sort of hybridness on the frescoes? I don't know. And the fact that the... I think I said arch angle. Did you say? <laughs> I, said I, I heard angel. I, or archangel. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but Michael, he's depicted in a couple different weird ways, right? Yeah, like it's not it's not uh, typical depictions by any means. And I, I, I don't know. I think that a lot of this has to do with this uh, tension between the two sort of belief systems that were kind of going on at the same time. Yeah, because, I mean, well, this one here, like the half human, half monster slain people yeah you know does this point to what had happened there hundreds of years before like is this pointing to evidence of these ancient legends of demonic creatures coming out attacking attacking people and then showing the tri the triumph of christianity over over what had happened hundreds of years before oh totally like you can take it very like figuratively and like metaphorically or you can take it very literally i think and you uh, people go both ways on this one right so they think that either these are literal depictions of what the locals were seeing or it was this more so like the theological reign of christianity over and so the the depictions of pagan sort of attributes are are paying homage to that, but also in a way that because they're placed in a Christian chapel, yeah. it's almost like, yeah, the, the Christianization of it. It's But it's weird, though, too. It's like I would almost even argue that it's not a fully Christian chapel. You know no, what I mean? It's, it's like not. it's got this hybridness to it where it's almost like – like this is an interesting quote here. The belief uh, – this is speaking to sort of the pagan aspect to it. Um, the belief is attributed to the fact that the figure is of a centaur. There is this centaur-like figure in one of the frescoes, which at the time was part of pagan mythology and that the creature is aiming with its left hand. And Travis mentioned in his clip the left hand being related to or associated with the devil. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's almost like this is like the chapel is depicting things. That's like a, almost a hybrid religion, like you kind of said in yeah. a way, um, because it's paying homage to some stuff from the area. Yeah. But not just paying homage, though. It's almost like it is a hybrid of 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 the two belief systems, and that is what's keeping it safe, yeah. like the place. You know what I mean? Going back to the centaur figure, yeah, like you said. Sorry, they're aiming a bow and arrow yes, with their left yes, hand, right. right? So they're aiming with an arrow. So basically it's a warrior, a pagan warrior. So I'm thinking now, like, wait a second, is this like a, a yeah, like something to venerate? You know what I mean? Something that's actually like a savior figure of some sort in in a pagan sense. Right. Or is it meant to be, again, another sort of demonic iteration? 
kind good. of thing. That's a good point. Know? Important to mention too, if you guys haven't already just remembered this or connected the dots, it's like we're talking about an image of bow and arrow and these types of things protect. There was no way for archers to shoot anything <laughs> approaching the castle. Actually, so yeah, this absolutely. is a strange thing to depict on the inside of the castle. You have an archer, left hand, association with the devil, and no way for archers to shoot arrows on things approaching the castle. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's like if you're depicting well, something from the outside, from the outside, but you can shoot be, inside. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. that would be what it's protecting them from. So that's why right. I'm thinking it could be like a savior-like figure. It's very literal, though. It's yeah. It's like I yeah. I mean, oh man, we'll get to the theories in a second here, guys. I believe there's definitely weirdness going on in Castle Hoska. And a lot of people throughout time did right, and I think. That's why it was vacant for so long was the the fear factor, <laughs> literally. Ooh. And then the fact that there was this uh, this stone chapel that was built almost like a, a charm, a talisman, a protector type thing to kind of like seal over and protect the people from from literally the entranceway to hell, like Travis right. so succinctly said at the end yeah. of his recording there. And uh, again, like we're going to skip a couple of centuries up to the 1600s, up to 1639, when we had a black magician. Uh, that sounded really weird. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but basically like an alchemist and black magician. He was a Swedish mercenary by the name of Oronto. And basically he made Hoska his home base when they were carrying on during the Thirty Years' War. Aranto, this story, again, is ripe with just like that folkloric element. You know, there's not a lot of sources, but the story goes that as this Thirty Years' War was going on, the castle was a safe base for the mercenaries. And they kind of had like, you know, a little bit of... uh, time in between their fighting sure. <laughs> so who knows what else they were doing up there but a lot of people believe that this Oronto was trying to develop an elixir of life and that he was kidnapping local villagers to use in his experiments to develop immortality I guess a couple of years went by where this was all happening and the villagers decided enough was enough. They were terrified. They were getting picked off one by one. They weren't sure what was going on here. So one night a group assembled and decided to sneak into the castle filled with mercenaries. Yikes. That is definitely saying something. You're willing to risk that just to solve this problem. Like, you know, so they actually went in and assassinated Oronto as he was working in his lab one evening great security (laughs) i'll just say that much Mm -hmm. especially for a mercenary home base like come on man another weird aspect of this tale is that supposedly aronto had a black chicken as an assistant and when i hear black chicken i immediately think of black philip and i thought perhaps this was a familiar for aronto right that's my own just spitball in there but was this an assistant for his otherworldly experiments Supposedly, Oronto, in his dying breaths, tried to get the chicken to revive him, but the chicken was unable. The chicken <laughs> failed. The chicken failed. Yeah. So, what do you make of that little bit? I think, well, okay, first of all, there's the question of, this is a hard one to corroborate. There's not a ton of information on this guy, Oronto, who was practicing black magic at Castle Hoska, but it does make sense that this would be the site that someone after, you know, would stick around from the Thirty Years' War and be like, you know what, I'm into black magic. This is the place I need to be. Mm-hmm. But there's, it was really hard to find evidence of actually townsfolk being abducted, things like that. But 1639, this is like the height of alchemy. 
in Bohemia, or maybe not the height, but it's like, it's yes. definitely like prominent magic and, and sorcery and witchcraft and these types of things were coming into full effect. It really was. Yeah. It was this idea that there was these esoteric um, qualities of nature and these powers that basically, so esoteric is like hidden knowledge, secret knowledge, things that we don't know. So the idea that they were trying to access that, and that's what um, alchemy was all about, right? The idea that you could access the powers of nature through experimentation. Yes. And that you could arrive at these incredible uh, achievements like creating an elixir of life to combat death like you know like all these things were very huge but yeah no this was the time where all this magic was rife and it was just it was the hot topic again i keep saying that in this episode no but it's true and 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 if we believe that this happened like my speculation is that aronto tapped into the energies existing at hoska and this was aiding in his alchemical research and magic research into magic and maybe he was getting close to develop something that we might call the elixir of whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then he was offed before he could achieve his, his ultimate ch- goal. Exactly. And the chicken couldn't save him. <laughs> but once again, we have an example of someone being drawn to the site. And this would carry over, you know, centuries later when we get the interest from the SS, the Nazis, and Himmler. So are you ready to jump into some Nazis and occult activity in Bohemia? Let's do it. Let's just first touch on, I mean, the reason they were there. I mean, Hitler's troops, they marched into Czechoslovakia, or what was Czechoslovakia at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And established what the Fuhrer had dubbed the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. Mm -hmm. And so essentially this was an annexed territory of Nazi Germany established in and around the 16th of March in 1939. There was a lot of different reasons, obviously, for the Nazis to invade Bohemia, Moravia, beyond just having control of Central Europe, right? I mean, it's the it's the it's one of the cultural centers of mm-hmm. the area, right? Bohemia. It was, and it was this idea of pan-Germanism. Exactly. It was the motherland they were taking back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and and it was that delicate balance too, because like, yeah, it was there was a lot of like ethnic uh, Czechs that were definitely a little more associated with the Aryan uh, supremacy that the Germans were trying, that the Nazis were trying to kind of flesh out. And mm-hmm. then there was the uh, the Jewish history in the area uh, and a lot of Jewish per- Jewish persecution that had happened in Bohemia and in Prague and in the Czech Republic long before the concentration camps and the Nazis showed up. It's a very long history of uh, persecution of the Jewish people. Exactly. Even going back to the Golem of Prague, hey? Oh, yeah. What about that story? Exactly. <laughs> yep. Reading some some Kafka and things like that, you'll mm-hmm. be reminded of those types of things. And and the the current president, I guess, or prime minister at the time, the name I actually don't have right in front of me here, but he was a sympathizer, I guess, or like working closely. I mean, trying not to get, you know don't poke the bear kind of thing, just kind of like doing what you're told. It's Um, working with thugs. Exactly. But beyond military strategy, beyond hunting their enemies or maintaining sort of larger master Aryan plan, one of the other reasons for the focus on Bohemia was an interest in the strange. And this is... The occult leanings. The occult, the, the, the bizarre, and this was something that Himmler, Heinrich Himmler specifically, was extremely interested in. And castles are uh, not only a place ripe for these types of things, but Bohemia is the castle capital of the world. There's more castles in the Czech Republic than anywhere else, which is pretty, pretty cool. And of course, not only that, it's one of the most prominent places of alchemical, magical, and all-around strange and unexplained mysticism, uh, mm-hmm. basically around the world, Bohemia. I'm amazed we didn't come up with a reference to oh, Count of St. Germain. St. Germain. Yeah. 
He probably was living in Prague at some <laughs> he probably point in time. popped in at one point or another. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to bring up this example too, just going back to Aranto and the whole idea of witchcraft, because he was performing these quote unquote black magic uh, rituals and experiments and stuff like that. But like witchcraft as we know it today wasn't, was just coming into effect. Like there were no rich witch trials until the 1600s. But we do know Bohemia, Prague, and the surrounding areas were obviously noteworthy for the occult. So there was this stuff happening in the area. It just wasn't necessarily like mainstream knowledge mm-hmm. across the globe. You know what I mean? So there was definitely an occult magical reason for the Nazis, especially occupying castles in the area, particularly Castle Hoska. We do need to be clear, though, there's a lot of articles out there that will downplay the significance of the occult in the Nazi regime. From what we've researched and discovered, this is kind of a fallacy because there, sure, there's some exaggerations out there, but the literal roots of the party itself are deeply rooted in ancient societies and occult practices. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the history goes way back and, and the, the, the the philosophy and the sort of ideology that the Nazis kind of clung to definitely was developed way, way earlier, like in the 1800s going on. And a lot of it had to do with the idea of creating some sort of Germanic nationalism, right? This idea yeah. that it's almost a, the fantasy underpinning of the... Uh, yeah, just their their whole ideology. Totally. And it's, it's kind of funny that you say that, Andrew, that a lot of articles sort of try to downplay the significance and of the occult in the Nazi regime. And this happened very early on, too, um, after World War II happened and the fallout. And, uh, once the world started to discover what was really going on, a lot of people tried to understand it in terms of rationalism. Yeah. And you really can't. You have to go to this irrational side. And one of the first people that was actually... Um, willing to go there was this guy named Nicholas Goodrick Clark. And he published, uh, I think 1985, he published the occult roots of Nazism. And he described how there was these secret Aryan cults that were influencing Nazi ideology. Yeah. And it was this, uh, again, f- the fantasy element that they created and sprung up from. And a lot of it had to do with these other secret societies, like even the Rosicrucianisms and the Freemasons and all these things. And they kind of used that as inspiration for a lot of their phantasmal and occult ideas. Which is so ironic because then they were stamping it out at the same time too. Like they're picking and choosing the little occult things they like and then burning the rest of the books. Exactly, because some stuff they associated with, again, right, they were very highly racist. So they associated some things with the Jewish Kabbalah that was basically this... uh, I don't even want to say it, but their version of the deep state. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Essentially, right? This international world party that was against German interests. And so, like we said, the Nazi party and the occult go back a long, long, long way. And in truth, the willingness of the people of Germany and in many other European states to accept these ideas was fairly high. It was kind of in vogue at this time. Even like, you know, the 1850s going forward, you know, we've talked about the idea of the spiritualist movements and things of that nature coming in. People wanted to understand spiritualist ideas and they were coming from a place of non-religious origins right they were they were heading away from that and so anyways across the country these ideas and beliefs on the occult were highly encouraged and a lot of the nazis clung to these as well and there were definitely some other groups like the Ariosophists were quite prominent anyways there's a lot of things and we're actually going to do a special patreon episode on all of this do a deep dive but we're just going to skim the surface for today 
<laughs> but even things such as like vampires from Slavic states were used in propaganda campaigns. And and I think there was uh, the Nosferatu that came out in the early, uh, in, in the teens. And that was mm-hmm. a very highly Jewicized uh, representation, right? So there was a lot of weird stuff yeah, going on. Yeah, it was very anti-Semitic point. and just like, yeah. Very like, anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were using the occult to sort of, yeah, to brand themselves and to... Exactly. And the idea of secret societies and esoteric knowledge as propping up this sort of hierarchy of society that they are creating in their minds. So many aspects of the occult were tied into this, uh, into the rituals, into the initiations and things of that. And the idea of gaining this esoteric knowledge from Mother Earth and whatever else. And a lot of it has to do with uh, Gnosticism too, right? So as opposed to agnosticism, Gnosticism is the belief in these like mystical secrets that mm-hmm. the earth holds and things of that nature that you need to unlock. <laughs> it sounds almost like, what's that religion that uh, Tom Cruise got all caught up in? Scientology. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it kind of does a little bit, but it's like yes. the, the origins of it, the way you're describing it here, it's like it, 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 this is the disturbing part about the Nazi party. It's like the way you're talking about it right now is like the origins are kind of peaceful and not horrible and then it got morphed into this horrific monstrosity of the nazi regime exactly and a lot of uh, racist elements were imbued in that too so like we said yeah so magic and esoteric knowledge of the natural world were something of value they had scientific value essentially and the nazis did adhere to many of these pre-scientific revolutionary principles found in groups such as like we mentioned the gnostis the Ariosophists, the rosicrucianists all these secret ish group well, the Rosicrucianists are a secret group. Totally, yeah. The others are just, they're just Ideas. theosophies and yeah. things of that nature. But they believe there were secrets to be found and that they were entitled to them as the inheritors of the Aryan race. Yes. So, yeah, there was this idea, even Atlantis comes into this, uh, the idea that there were these superior Aryan roots that they were attached to and that there were, it was basically like light and darkness, very binary. So all the slabs were <laughs> the, the the non-humans, essentially. Basically, in this, yeah. Uh, they were the, the monsters and all this kind of thing. So, yeah, they basically used all these to prop up a lot of their sort of fantastic notions of this coming this millenarian coming of the Aryan race so they were trying to tap into that to justify all of this sort of like theoretical foundations things that were still unproven to Mm -hmm. a large degree but Himmler was the one that really attached himself to this sort of idea of esoteric knowledge and things that they could essentially uncover and they were literally they were a Ronto 20th century Aronto trying to find the elixir of life Pretty much. A lot of people think. Let's jump into Himmler then. <laughs> yeah, we definitely I think, should. I think that's the perfect segue. Mm-hmm. Leader of the SS. We're not going to do a full biography here. Like we said, stay tuned for some Patreon releases where we're going to go even deeper into some sort of the weirdness of like Nazis and the occult. But when it comes to Himmler, this guy, he was the kingpin of the Nazi occult research, the push for all things strange. He Mm -hmm. was pushing for searching for the lost civilization of Atlantis, like you just mentioned, to try to tie themselves into that, the the most ancient Aryan peoples that they could find, basically, right? But it got to a point where it was beyond the politics, beyond the the usefulness for the branding of the Nazi party, and became essentially just a flat-out fascination with the occult, the paranormal, to the point where he was 
trying to establish his own religion. And we've loosely mentioned this already. Yeah, he definitely had this sort of fantasy that he, that was built for him by others that came before, like the lawns and the lists of the world and things of that nature, which we'll get into in our, in our special Patreon edition. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And how this, I should have put this a little further down. I'll touch on it again. But the whole point of bringing this stuff up, this occult stuff with Hoska, is because obviously the Nazis occupied Hoska and it's the weirdest castle in the area. The question is, why were they there beyond it just being a, a place to hang out or to store some stuff? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of speculation on what was happening there. One of the things we know that Himmler was up to was performing seances and various different ceremonies and things like that to try to achieve different goals. One of them being, accessing Aryan ancestors through these seances, almost like an Edgar Cayce type reading thing, right? Trying to tap Mm, into the ancient... The past lives of of the Aryan, or even himself becoming. There was this woman known as Madame Blavatsky, and she kind of had this whole idea that there were these uh, these root races, starting with, I think it was the astral race. I think the fifth iteration was the Aryan race, the idea that there were selected people, the elect is what it was called. And so the Aryans... The, the Nazis consider themselves to be the elect. And so Himmler probably thought of himself as a Madame Blavatsky type figure that would have been sort of, yeah, like you're saying, like the kingpin, he would have been the medium through which this would have flowed through. Exactly. He would have hoped, I would imagine. Like, you know what I mean? That would be his dream, his destiny. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think he, and he fully believed that. And he was looking for the right, in my mind, thinking about the ties to Hoska, think he was trying to find the right place that had the right energy to achieve that, right? And what's better than a gateway to hell? <laughs> exactly. Or, or or whatever you you see it as. Yeah. And it got to a point where the SS, who were the ones occupying Castle Hoska, you know, the, the special divisions of the SS, Himmler believed them to be essentially like a form of holy knights, Right. They were they mm-hmm. were like the their version of the Teutonic Order or the Knights Templar that were doing this great thing in history. Yep. Uh, right. And among others that were heavily influenced in the party, like he wasn't the only one who, who who thought of this. There was others that were heavily influenced by the occult, interested in the occult. Apparently Hitler wasn't really one of them. And I found this to be sort of a contradiction because it's interesting that Himmler started to push away from Christianity and things like Mm -hmm. that. I've got a few interesting things down here in a sec. Whereas at the same time, we have a push from the Nazis to find religious artifacts of great significance, the Holy Grail, the Spear of Destiny, things that perhaps Heinrich Himmler didn't want to associate with because he saw them as... um, Covering up some of the ancient Aryan history, possibly, or maybe even... Of oppression um, of the Catholic Church. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's actually really interesting, though, Andrew. Like, the idea that, yeah, like, Himmler was really pushing for this... Hitler had his... Like, he was very much on the, like, the purity of the races. Obviously, he very much adhered to the idea of the supremacy of the Aryan race, quote-unquote, and the idea that blood purity was essential to this, that you couldn't mix in and have these... uh, these monstrous sort of subbreeding or what, I don't even know what you want to call it. Basically eugenics is what he was after. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So let's just, let's just picture, picture in our heads here for, for a second, you guys, the SS at Castle Hoska, like 
we're we're going to speculate a little on what they were doing there, but what one thing we do know they were doing is using it as sort of an administration hub. The irony of that is that that's the theory is what the castle was constructed for in the 13th century, mm-hmm. some sort of an administrative hub, even though it's not on any trade routes, doesn't really make sense for that to be an administration hub there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I could say that would be very strategic is the fact that for the Nazis, at least, it was in the middle of nowhere in really dense woods. So I would imagine if airplanes, like, you know, sur- surveying airplanes from the Allies were coming flying over, perhaps they wouldn't even realize that they're there it definitely was a good place to i mean like you said being out of the way kind of take things that you were stealing throughout europe and collecting throughout europe and maybe having a little bit of downtime to analyze and uh, poke through some of the weirdness that they were collecting Mm -hmm. because that was one of the things they focused on throughout europe and definitely in bohemia himmler was obsessed with searching for witch hunt trial records One of the things that Himmler actually did was order a branch of the SS to search libraries, to comb over 260 libraries, not just in in Czech, uh, but he's looking for archives of traces of witch trials, right? He was looking for this. He he had found evidence that one of his ancestors was burnt at the stake in a witch trial, and he was out to prove that the persecution of witches and witchcraft was sort of an equivalent attempt by the Roman Catholic Church at the time to eliminate the German race. Interesting. This was all part of the insanity building in his sort of like new age religion. And there's the paganism and stuff that like got added into that too. But like, I find that to be so freaking weird. You find out that you were like related to someone accused to be a witch you're searching for witch trial records. You're associating that. Like, that to me is so odd. Yeah, the delusion is definitely very much there. And the idea that he, yeah, he's equivalating uh, witches with the idea of Aryans with this esoteric knowledge. And because they have this knowledge, they're being persecuted by these, yeah, the, the Catholics. So in his mind, the Catholics become the enemy. And that's why I, <laughs> it's so funny because a lot of this has to do with the rationalism and rejection of modernity and a lot of uh, the ideas attachment to modernity. And so when I thought about it more, I was like, the Catholic Church obviously is a very like you know traditional institution. So the yeah. fact that they're even going after that was just so interesting to me. I know, right? And even just the fact that like such a weird history there, a lot of uh, fragmentation, even when it was the Holy Roman Empire, right? Yeah. Empire, sorry. And there was all those like different states. And that's basically, it's so sad. And it's such a strange contradiction. The fact that when Germany united and they united under this, you know, like as a country and there was all these, you know, kind of like nitpicky things like about Austria and about like the other Slavic states and whatever, who got what and, and all the mixing of these races and how the fact that they had to go with this, this purity. And it just is so sad because they were so multi-ethnic and they should have just embraced it, but they just couldn't. Of course. (laughs) Sorry. That's just me rambling. Yeah, no, but, but you're totally right. But I mean, it just, I mean, it makes sense. That's just what they were trying to do. And it makes sense that they would pick pick Hoska going mm-hmm. back to that because of the whole th- because of the idea of like being like the Knights Templar being this uh trying to achieve these sort of weird things and finding these records and all these kinds of things because even okay I never mentioned off the top too like the idea of like there being a knight's drawing room in the castle I don't oh, know if we mentioned room. that is yeah. That, yeah or Travis loosely mentioned that we kind of briefly mentioned that and I found that to be sort of 
a funny reason in my mind why they would want to hang out there. They see themselves as Teutonic Knights or Knights Templar. There's a Knights drawing room there. It's like, what better place to hang out if you're interested in the occult and you feel like you are this special group than a castle? And what better <laughs> castle than Castle Hoska? <laughs> yeah. Like that to me is the reason for them being there. It's multifaceted. It's not just strate- strategic fortifications, but... Because there's other ones in the area, right? It's like Bezdjez is one of the closest castles to Castle Hoska in the area. It is actually built like a fortification. It is facing outward. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's a kitchen, I believe. Like, you know, there's, you know, so, yeah. (laughs) No, that's totally, yeah. It's the high strangeness that's attracting them. And I I believe that, too, just because of all of these um, leanings to the occult and things of that nature. Like, I think... Yeah, like other weirdos in history, it attracted the weirdos of the Nazis. And what were they doing there? What were they doing there? So the Nazis, again, of course, like pretty much all records have been burnt. There's nothing existing as to what their actual like modus operandi was when they were there. But a lot of people think it was like a depository of sorts. So as they were collecting all these artifacts all throughout Europe, as they're expanding and invading different areas, you know, like even in our episode, we covered the Amber Room, for example, in mm-hmm. Russia, they went and they, they just take things. Yes. <laughs> they're collectors. <laughs> so they're, and they're, they want to, I feel as though they were taking all of these things so that when the millenarian uprising occurred, they could basically reassign value and reassign tradition to what yeah. these artifacts were, which was maybe why. Hitler was trying to collect these articles that were related to Christianity because maybe perhaps in his new pan-German era, he would basically come up with a different significance or a different value for them. Right, That's exactly. just me, just my conjecture there. But again, there's this idea that perhaps they were trying to tap into something similar to Oronto back in the 1600s. And the fact that they could have been conducting unknown experiments along with their initiation ceremonies, right? right? Rites and rituals, very much imbued with this feeling of power and the knowledge attached to the secrecy of it, right? The the rites and the ritual. Yeah. Uh, so they were trying to dig into that and perhaps creating their own elixir of life or whatever, or perhaps tapping into portals. Because again, like people will talk about the Nazi bell and, and the idea that they were trying to create a, a portal that they could even transport troops through, like, you know, like an automatic transporter kind of thing. That actually, hey, like we never brought any of that stuff up for mm-hmm. this, but it's like if you really wanted to create a rabbit hole, maybe we could tie that in. Maybe we'll talk about that on Patreon because the notion of a portal, gateway to hell, like you just said, would make perfect sense to be the site of research into a device that can transport things. Exactly. And talking about like subatomic particles and they were trying to come up with the the, the atomic bomb at that point too and all this kind of crazy stuff. So again, occult and science were one and the same for these people. (laughs) They were just like combining everything. And not only was this just a great place to kick back and relax, but some people think that it could have been even like a brothel as well. So there's like a mixing of, you know, you got your scientific occult aims, you've got your relaxation, you got whatever. I would have honestly could imagine if you were like one of the prostitutes there and you're just like, just the fly on the wall, like seeing. What's oh yeah, going I, like on. I added this in. I was like, you know, what better place to have like a broth or to relax than like you know a site of ancient pagan death, ghosts, and yeah. strange hybrid human enigmas. And not only that, like what the officers would have told these women. That would be very interesting mm. to me to know. But no one really knows, so <laughs> we'll just have to leave that. Uh, but they did believe in harnessing these forces of darkness. So 
many of the Nazis, it was it was thought that they attended these initiation ceremonies of a neo-pagan nature. Yeah. This sort of Himmler's fantasy cult religion. And these supposedly could have happened at the castle. Yeah. And if you're digging into like Andrew's going way back into the idea of like uh, Samhain and all these like ancient Celtic things like. I'm curious because, like, the Nazis were very high up on this stuff. So they would have definitely have been inspired by it. Absolutely. But I don't know. It, yeah, it seems like Hoska has been singled out over all these because there's, what, there's four or five different castles in the area kind of thing? They occupied, I think it was six different castles in right in that same vicinity. Yeah. But, yeah, none of them are like Hoska. Stands none alone. None of them. Mm-hmm. I guess there's also been bodies found, hey, of soldiers, Nazi soldiers. I didn't, yeah, that I, I sort of just found this Don't right before me. we recorded, didn't yeah. didn't dig right into it, but it makes sense that it just sort of, if, if true, like, again, we'll look into this, hit us up on Patreon, we're going to talk about it further, mm-hmm. but the idea that maybe they were even performing their own neo-pagan religious rites on there. Possibly even with human sacrifice, possibly even with volunteered human sacrifice. If these SS officers truly believed they were like Teutonic Knights and they were like a part of this grandiose vision. Yeah, and the other part of that too is that they really did have beliefs in the afterlife. They believed that they would be reborn as these elects. So that's why a lot of Nazis killed themselves at the end of the war. They believed that they were going on to something else. Right. And whether or not it was on this plane or a different plane, they believed that they were part of the special elect. So it gave them a lot of, I would say, like security, you know what I mean, in going into death. It's almost like they don't fear death because they feel as though they're these the special elect. Right. So it seems that a cult ritual at Castle Hoska would make sense over the other castles in the area up because of its dark history, of course. Mm-hmm. Was this some kind of bizarre neo-Nazi pagan cult sacrifice ritualistic <laughs> practice going on at Hoska? <laughs> at this point, it would just be Nazi, not neo-Nazi. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should have said neo-pagan. Or Nazi neo-pagan. neo-pagan is what I meant to say. Um picking up the old torch from Mm -hmm. the bizarre Celtic human sacrifice. Uh, (laughs) Could this have been, if you believe that to be true, potentially a message, I'm air quoting here, or at least something subconscious given to Himmler through these voices or energies that are happening at Hoska, like the dark voices that people have said to hear in the area, telling people to kill little girls or the cloaked figures alluding to certain things, guiding people, like the elemental that you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. uh, in Lep Castle. And so, again, the question we come down to, though, is like, what is the proof of this? We have a lot of speculation, even though we do have proof of the occult and research and Himmler's, you know, all his stuff he was interested in. But the one thing we were able to find was a few different articles talking about a discovery of a quote-unquote so-called stash of occult books discovered in Prague. Himmler's book stash is how it's been referred to. Mm -hmm. Now, a little bit controversial, but I'll talk about that in a sec. This was a stash of around 13,000 books, I believe it was, in the National Library of the Czech Republic in Prague, and was said to be a horde of strange knowledge that belonged to Heinrich Himmler, or at least was collected by some of the special SS officers that he ordered to take all that weird stuff from Masonic lodges, from libraries, from private collections, and all kinds of different stuff. Mm-hmm. It does seem that for whatever reason, following the war, the collection was pr- relatively forgotten until the mid-1950s. Oh. There was an article in the Daily Mail talking about uh, the discovery and quoted a uh, Norwegian Masonic researcher named Bjorn Helge Hord- Horsland, 
Bjorn, man, oh guy, those Norwegian names. Sorry, buddy. But he essentially told uh, a Norwegian newspaper that the books were stolen from uh, a Masonic order in Oslo, seized by the Nazis during the occupation of the country. So a great amount of these books were secret Masonic texts. Doesn't mean that they're talking about the occult, Mm -hmm. depending on your definition of the occult. Um, But the Nazis had obviously been carting around all their favorite books based on witchcraft and the occult and and taking them where they want to go. Right, okay. And they were trying to use this to what, craft like a history of Arianism? I think they were doing it to, one, Himmler was looking for information on witch trials and stuff like that, like we mentioned before. Two, he was just trying, yeah, to build that library of knowledge to develop his neo-pagan religion. Right, and to justify the idea that the Arians are the ones that have been historically persecuted. Exactly. There's a lot of pushback, however, though, that these were in fact occult books. There's an article out there that's uh, titled, I believe it was like, No Occult Books Found in Prague and okay. did not belong to to Heinrich Himmler and that it's all been blown out of proportion. Hmm. I feel, however, though, that this is splitting hairs a little bit here. And I think that uh, Scott and Forrest over at Astonishing Legends would agree with me. They talked about this find as well in their series on Castle Hoska. It really does come down to how you define occult and magic and things like that. Because, of course, the, the Freemasons is a secret society. Well, and even the idea of arcane knowledge, Arca- right? Exactly. Uh, it's like uh, secret knowledge or, or knowledge that isn't... Yeah, isn't open to the public because a lot of Freemason books, obviously, you have to go through the certain stages, exactly. the rights to, to obtain that knowledge. Exactly. It, it, it's just that obviously some people were jumping the, to the conclusion that these were like 13,000 books with like the secret recipe for like creating a new religion, the elixir of life, like all <laughs> yeah. this occult stuff, like, you know, grow a homunculus in a jar. Shout out to Travis. Right. Um, <laughs> but my thinking is, is that Bohemia is the epicenter of the occult, of magic, of ancient alchemy throughout his, history. And the Nazis knew this. And as they went along, they were collecting books on witchcraft and strange things. It makes sense that some of the books in this collection would be potentially focused on that weirdness. Oh, for sure. And even if they're not focused on the weirdness, but they're focused on certain figures that they attach weirdness to, then that's where you get the significance Exactly. Now, whether or not it was directly Heinrich Himmler's exact stash, again, I feel like is splitting hairs because this these were taken from Oslo. Who else was going to do that? The Nazis did, right? So it makes perfect sense that this yeah. would be Himmler's book stash. So I feel like sort of historians are splitting hairs a little bit there. Mm-hmm. They're wanting – this is the pushback we mentioned earlier in the episode about the resistance to just say uh, – to accept the occult history of, of the Nazi party. There, there's a lot of pushback on that, even though it was intimately involved, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Hmm. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? That's kind of, that is interesting. And I, I'm curious if it has to do with the sources, if it's more local sources saying that or sources from outside the area saying that. Yeah, I believe it was a Czech historian. I mean, mm-hmm. I did find this one example um, that was pulled from the collection and it had had a 1533 account of a witch execution, uh, the burning of a witch in the German town of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, in <laughs> 1531. So it definitely did have things that reference (laughs) witchcraft, but it's not like, again, recipe books or spell books and things like that. It's a historical document. It's a historical document. And again, they would have used this to prop up their version of historical events that posits that the Aryan race has been basically submerged in this, like, this 
I want a melting pot of inferior races. Yeah. And just even going back to that Madame Blavatsky and the whole Ariosophist sort of outlook on this and the idea of these root races and the fall of these root races, like she even had an iteration of the Limerians, which we've also discussed, and the idea of the Limerian continent that supposedly disappeared. And the Limerians fell because they started to inbreed with beasts, quote unquote, that basically they became subhuman. And that's what Hitler and all the Nazis saw all of the Slavs and all the non quote unquote German people. They saw them as these inferior, basically subhuman people. And then there's obviously you can look up all of the propaganda posters and all the imagery they would use to kind of help instill that in the minds of uh of a lot of intellectuals right like and it was the intellectual german people that really thought there was a lot of legitimacy to this and a lot of legit and that's why we get eugenics in this time era and all these sorts of things it's it's brutal and it's kind of crazy how it's like the intersections of of the occult and of these irrational beliefs in a time of modernity and of rationalism and of people like, oh my gosh, uh," or even Nietzsche you can go to and the the idea that God is dead, we have killed him, that we live in this age of modernity and rationalism of science. But then at the same time you get the exact opposite happening. It's that binary sort of awkward tension. Anyways, I'm rambling again. No, no. It's just so fascinating to me. I love it. This is totally one of our apps. Like, yeah, I, hesitate to call it bread and butter because we haven't actually covered anything really like this on the show, but definitely piques our interest for sure as far as history goes. It touches the history element. I used to be obsessed with just trying to understand the Nazis when I was in my youth. I just, I thought it was so fascinating that something such as that type of movement could arise and gain so much power in society. I just, I I couldn't fathom. And even just the, the figure of Hitler too. I used to be very just like I was so confused and just needed to understand it. So I had yeah. a lot of obsession about it. But yeah, no, this is this is such a fun episode and so much history and and what do, let's get into some of our like questions and conclusions if we even have any conclusions. I think I mean I I feel like I've got a couple of conclusions to mm-hmm. make here. I think the whole uh, Himmler's book Stash and the witchcraft occult books is is kind of shaky to lean on as far as like evidence of what they were doing at Castle Hoska. It's pure speculation. You made the comparison uh, to Aronto that maybe they were like the modern day Arontos there. You've used the term eugenics a couple of times and that just makes me think that holy moly what was going on in that basement of Castle Hoska potentially, right? Very dark, horrific, horrible things. Don't want to know, but do want to know. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly, right? I know that's that's, that's, (laughs) treading that fine line. The morbid curiosity. (laughs) And... I mean, I guess, though, at the same time, we know that there was a reason for them being there. They were attracted to the weirdness. There was energies there and leaves us with this question as to what were the early people of Bohemia in this region seen when it comes to the creatures coming out of the hell hole at Castle Hoska? Was this something real? Is the castle haunted or was it just sitting on top of a very real gateway to to hell? Or is it haunted from the remnants of human sacrifice that took place at the site? Is it a chicken and the egg situation? Mm -hmm. Did Prince Slavibor make the mistake of building on the wrong spot and then Ottokar built the stone structure because he figured it out to protect his people in some Mm way? These are the questions that we've been playing with with this episode and we really want to hear what you guys think. But my main thing that I wanted to mention, coming back to the whole ancient Celts, I feel like... Hey, hey guys, look, Andrew's finally going with like a non-paranormal idea for an episode. (laughs) Wow. Even though I believe in the idea of interdimensionality, 
Actually, I mean, I mean, I'm not going entirely not paranormal. Mm-hmm. I believe that this was a site of ancient pagan ritual and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I believe in the idea of the thinning of the veil. And I think it would make sense that in a transitory time between ancient paganism and modern, you know, new Christianity with St. Ludmila, that maybe the practice of Celtic Halloween, dressing up like ghouls, goblins, ghosts, and monsters bled into the legends that the now Christianized peoples of these villages were seeing these pagan rituals and reported seeing monsters, Mm -hmm. that they were witnessing these enigmas when really it was just the fear of what was still these sort of bizarre pagan rituals. Yeah, that were increasingly less understood. Right. And perhaps were being practiced by groups that were separated from the other villagers, you know, like there's probably a lot of fragmentation and a lot of, again, like we, we mentioned a lot of different ethnic groups. So perhaps there was one that sort of clung to the old while another sort of went to the new sort of beliefs. And then you do get these tensions and then all this weirdness kind of springing up. I really do like that theory. And when you brought that up to me, I was just like, that's, yeah, that's a head scratcher right there. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very unique angle to sort of bring into. And of course, under the portal, we have to go ancient on your guys' asses. Of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) The other sort of theory, I guess we would just have to mention is the idea of maybe people were hallucinating. You know, maybe there was a very real crack fissure in the ground and that there was methane, radon, gases, some of these nitrous, you know, whatever, like gases that were causing people to hallucinate. And that's why the guy died, maybe. Hey, the, he was the, lowered in. And exactly. He had brain damage, maybe, potentially, even. Potentially. But it still seems strange that despite that, that you would build a castle that's inside out and build it successfully. If there's gases uh, seeping mm-hmm. out of this while you're building, you'd think maybe they'd build it lopsided or something. It'd be like <laughs> the Leaning Tower of Hoska. Um, <laughs> but they didn't. And uh, I am a a firm believer, my final thought here, that there was an event that is unexplainable. The pit is covered up now. There's a well there. I mean, go watch the past access um, YouTube video of Travis and Pete so you can see the inside of the castle. It's just so hard to pinpoint now. But I do believe that something bizarre mm-hmm. happened, that a fissure opened up. <laughs> I just think it's tied I love to the that ancient you mentioned, I love that you mentioned the well. Sorry, uh, just to interrupt you there. <laughs> but the idea that there is actually water in the area. You just have to dig really, really, really deep. And I think it was like over 300 meters they had to go. Yeah. Was it 300 meters or 300 feet? Which meant now. that there had never been a well dug there before. Like yeah, they had they to dig really, really, really deep down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nobody had tried tried before. I would love to see what, like, a LIDAR, if they could do that. Like, you know, um, get the underground. So they just, like, Somehow. do a LIDAR pass underneath there and just see how deep and how open it is and I wonder what's going how, on. I know. Or if there's any other potential openings in the area, too, that are connected to the same um, chasms or whatever. I imagine if there was a full excavation of the area of Hoska, too. Like, what if we did find, like, very much like I'm talking about, like, some massive pagan sacrifice burial or maybe even a bunch of like ss or something yeah Yeah, like it hasn't been extensively excavated right yeah because even going back to like the the legends that they supposedly they even just threw prisoners into that pit oh yeah just to get rid of them totally and imagine all the bodies accumulating or even like travis mentioned how it's like almost like the houses there are totally unique and unlike any other structures he's seen in the region and they look like hobbit holes like i'm picturing like what if what if there was, like, 
again, like a very ancient iteration of those types of houses and those types of peoples that were practicing these things and that were being seen. Right. They're like mountain men or something or, you know. Yeah. Anyways. Well, it's right for a movie. I think a movie. Oh my God. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. we really want to hear what you guys think when it comes to gateways to hell, when it comes to Castle Hoska, there's a bunch of other gateways to hell around the world. We actually did a Patreon episode on uh, gateways to hell talking about the, uh, the cola super deep borehole and things like that. So if you want a little bit more deep down in the earth stuff, uh, Mm -hmm. hop over there as well. And like we said, stay tuned because we're going to be digging into some more Nazi occult. Oh yeah. We're getting into the occult roots. We're getting into all of the weird, uh, uh, yeah, all these Aryan cults and their influence on Nazi ideology and the rise of National Socialism in Germany in the early 20th century. I think it's time to cut it out here. I can't talk anymore, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you <laughs> guys. I know. I'm really curious to hear what everyone thinks of all this, guys. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. If you want to go check out the Patreon feed there, uh, we're going to be posting some more stuff later in the month. And totally. We do have that Amela Nutuka that's up for $5 and up. So We do. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to go check out uh, Travis and Pete's past, past Access YouTube channel. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review. If you're enjoying listening to the show, we really appreciate it. It helps us out so, so much on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the show. And uh, take a screenshot and send it to us if you do, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll send you a sticker or something. That'd be, yeah. that'd be really cool. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.